You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit Facebook.design. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Sabrina Dorsonville, designer, illustrator, and director of Civic Design at the Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics in Boston, Massachusetts. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi there, my name is Sabrina Dorsonville. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, designer, um, illustrator, and I spend my days right now as the director of civic design for the Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics out in Boston, Massachusetts. Wow. So for our listeners, can you describe a little bit about what civic design is? Yeah, civic design as um, a concept was really new to me four years ago when I um, joined the team, but it has been um, an interesting journey so far trying to do the work and try to articulate what it is and really unpack the opportunity that that framing brings. Um, I sort of have like hesitations over sort of putting like design into these uh, really constrained buckets. But what civic design has allowed me to think about is the context of cities, um, where design shows up both as a process, but also as a way of thinking, seeing, and a way of like really tactically, you know, both visualizing things and, you know, rethinking services and I think really concretely thinking about where design shows up. And so uh, for me, civic design has been about pulling in qualitative research and really trying to understand how that pairs with quantitative research. It's meant trying to figure out who's not in the room and how we can bring them really along for the for the ride, but also sometimes, and I think in a lot of cases, my desire is to make sure that we're sort of co-creating opportunities. Um, and, and so, yeah, so civic design has really been thinking about the cities, thinking about how do we intentionally navigate their future in a way that is thoughtful of who tends to be left behind, right? And the different ways that I think we can, I think, collectively bring a better future together. Sounds vague still, I feel like, but but yeah, really excited about what it's evolving into. It sounds very lofty. I mean, when you said, uh, like, the context of how design kind of shows up in cities, like, that could be that could be anything. That could be street design. That could be neighborhoods, signage. It could be a number of different things, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how it has been playing out for me as well. <laughs> so um, I I studied industrial design um, when I uh, was an undergrad and then went on to study uh, in a program called Design and Urban Ecologies. And it was really asking that question of how uh, different practices could sort of come together to solve our wicked problems in, in cities being not the only place where that sort of critical thinking needed to happen, but uh, in a place where rapid change and inequity and contradictions existed. And so it was exciting to find a role and I guess a field really that responded to that, responded to the desire to you know make and create and really try and think about 
how we can do things differently and do that in an active way, right? Yeah. Um, as as well as um, really trying to navigate social issues. And so in this particular role, it does show up as sometimes thinking about street signs, other times thinking about like retrofitting vehicles, other times thinking about physical spaces for folks who are experiencing substance use disorders and and, and in need of spaces where they can um you know, congregate and recover and with dignity, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it means trying to help young people navigate how they can be more civically engaged. And so it does offer myself and my my team the opportunity to wear a lot of different hats um, and really figure out how do we support a, a future, both of government that I think works for the people in the way that I think we're uh, really pushing for and I think for years obviously have interrogated and and asked that of it, um, but also just thinking about how do we find ways of making everyday life better and, and knowing that it can show up in a lot of different ways, whether it be policy or services or an actual object. So given the variety of work, I'm curious, like what does a like, what's a regular day for Sabrina in the office? What does that look like? <laughs> no two days look alike. <laughs> um, and uh, so I think it's helpful, I guess, like to share a little bit about the team because it does lend itself to understanding that like we are, uh, we, we do sort of wear a lot of different hats, which means that um, every day asks a little bit different from us. But the team has been around for about 10 years. The the mechanics got their name based on the previous mayor of Boston uh, because he was sort of called the urban mechanic. He was the, you know, if that pothole's broken or like, you know, the sidewalk's broken, we should just fix it. Like we don't need to spend forever doing these long-term plans and, and not really showing people that we're going to take action. And when that mayor sort of uh, retired, the new mayor really saw value in both doing that long-term planning so that we kind of know where we want to go, but doing that testing along the way, doing that prototyping, that exploration, um, that experimentation along the way. And so the team has been able to, you know, for, for 10 years, really think about, you know, what are the gaps that exist between the departments that are really trying to do thoughtful work in the city, but at sometimes the dots can't be connected or they need, you know, support in thinking differently or asking a different set of questions to the challenges that they're facing, that they've been facing for years. And so, you know, some days it's us being that sort of open door for external folks to government, right? Taking meetings from a like startup, from a community member, from a young person that is really interested in working with the city or working in alignment with a goal that they see that the city should be um, solving for. And we either are able to take that project on ourself or pass it on to folks um, in the building. And we're also, we get our hands dirty. So we, we often are not in the building and, and doing a lot of work in collaboration with both internal, you know, departments, but also external folks. And so um, on any given day, I could be, you know, talking about you know, climate mitigation uh, on our waterfront or talking about, again, like what can we do with our uh, public school youth to make sure that they feel uh, excited, prepared to engage with the city and that the if they want support from city government, that the folks in the, in, in the building are ready to receive them to, again, working on things related to recovery and, and, and trying to navigate how built spaces really work for folks who um, need it the most. Yeah. Is this type of work, I guess, like specifically that you're doing within the mayor's office in Boston, is this unique to Boston or is this something that a lot of cities have? Like they have a similar type of department that is thinking about these sorts of things. 
Yeah, so I, I'll say I'm excited to say that the mechanics is you know, one of the first, if not the first in the United States. I think there are a lot of examples in, in Europe and, and other sort of spaces down in Mexico City of folks trying to do this type of sort of imagination and not just imagination. I use that word because I think it's important, these questions around delightfulness and imagination, but really trying to think about how do we... Uh, be thoughtfully designing with the city in mind? Um, and what does that look like, given that like governments are, in a lot of cases, and especially in a city like Boston that's so old, right? This is a fortified system, right? Mm-hmm. So we have been, it's been working the way that it's been working, and whether folks want it to change or not, there are um, a lot of uh, the foundation that I think we're working from isn't always that inclusive, right? And I would argue a lot of folks would say it's not inclusive at all. And so um, it's been exciting to see teams beyond ourselves pop up. And I think the challenge is some of them are framed uh, in a bit more constrained way, right? About being about performance management and things like that. So I do feel like we and a few others operate in a unique position where we don't try to limit ourselves in terms of, you know, we're just thinking about data, right? Or we're just thinking about, you know, how we can be more efficient and, you know, more cost effective. We're thinking really critically about, well, what does it mean to think about making life better for residents? And while that feels lofty, situating it in the context of each challenge and each um, thing that we're um, sort of trying to navigate it becomes important. And so I do think there are teams out there and there are, especially in the context of civic design, um, with the rise of Bloomberg Philanthropy's innovation teams, there's a lot of cities um, like LA and and um, I believe it from Baltimore, Oakland. There are a lot of different folks that have uh, sort of innovation teams that are looking to do this type of work, which is exciting. Nice. How do you approach new projects? Like what tools do you use? I mean, I know you mentioned a lot of uh, looking at different types of research, qualitative research, pairing that with quantitative research. What what tools do you kind of use most day to day in your work? Ooh, most day to day. Yeah, I mean, so I've I think I've spent a little bit of time talking about like the uh, the thinking behind it. But yeah, I mean, whether it be trying to think about where uh, we can, like, I think, physically imagine things with folks, right? So I can use an example. Um, We, uh, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, uh, we partnered with our health commission out here in Boston um, to uh, create this temporary um, space for for folks um, in an area of the city that it really has a high concentration of resources for folks experiencing substance use disorders. And so, you know, trying to navigate how do you create a space, a space that feels welcoming to folks um, was a question that we were all trying to ask. And I think from their perspective, they were really prepared to provide a space that responded to the clinical needs and the the needs that they already knew about, right, that they had been working on for years. And I think for our team, we said you know, it's exciting that you have that sort of like clinical perspective and that you, and that we're aligned on this welcoming perspective, but we want to actually um, sort of drive home what it means to build on that and say, what would it look like to have a space that is both creative, welcoming, and allows folks to be connected to the resources and people they want, right? So um, oftentimes we are working in collaboration with a department that has a set of goals that I think by us understanding them, we can say, well, what if we went 
beyond that? Or what if we imagined on top of that? And sometimes it's not something, it's not always like this grand uh, gesture that needs to happen. Sometimes it's a small thing. And so I say all this to say that sometimes the tools that I'm using is asking questions, right? Not being the expert (laughs) is an incredibly useful tool in that it allows me to say, you know, I may not be the expert on the clinical piece, but what I do know is that as a person, you know, we tend to want to feel like a space is ours. And part of that is from doing qualitative research and actually navigating with folks, you know, what makes you feel like you're thriving in a city? Um, What makes it feel like your home and getting a sense from that work uh, and being able to apply it to a different space, but really founding all of that and asking really thoughtful questions that will get people to unpack the things that they usually don't get asked, right? Like people don't tend to be asked from their city governments uh, (laughs) beyond just the yes or no questions to, um, I think, planning practices. Uh, We don't often get asked to sort of imagine very concretely about certain things. And so trying to figure out, you know, how do we bring in a different set of questions? How do we bring in qualitative research? How does that show up sometimes as these really in-depth interviews, but also sometimes as really a quick and dirty almost... (laughs) I wish I had a better word for that, but a really like quick, uh, like quick ways of trying to navigate that with folks and then building on that. I think part of the the interesting part of doing this work in government, because I would say that civic design as a practice, I imagine, is incredibly important to have thoughtful people inside city government. But it's not the only place that you can be civically active, right? That this work can show up. And so the reason why I'm like pointing to some of the simple things that can be done is that I think, you know, there are reflexes that are built up in spaces like these. And so much of the work I feel like we get to do is, you know, on the simple side, again, of like being listening, right? Being a friendly face, trying to help folks unpack and get to the root of what they're actually trying to accomplish and realign themselves to that and figure out where do their values show up. And then to say like, yeah, there are practices that deserve designers have done, that sociologists have done, that other practices have done that we can look to as guidance, but that we can imagine in the context that we're working in. And so uh, it shows up in a lot of ways. And, you know, I get excited that I also personally get to develop visuals and do storytelling and, you know, design um, in a sort of physical way as well. But I, I, I really want to point to the fact that there is a lot of need for like thoughtful thinkers who come from diverse backgrounds to ask the question of where do our values really come into play and how do we not just take policy as policy and say policy is an act of design. And so we must think about what the implications might be and who is helping design those things. And so, yeah. <laughs> now, I think it's really interesting that the the tools that you use the most in your work are not like technical tools. It's asking questions and like active listening. Like those are the two most important things, which, you know, I think as, as designers in general is something that, uh, is just a good skill to have. You know, I tell this a lot to entrepreneurs specifically when dealing with clients, like being able to ask the right questions or being able to get the information you need just by listening to the client can save you so much time and energy just later on down the, you know, the, the life of the project. So yeah. what, what have you found has been sort of the biggest challenge so far with this role? I think, you know, I think early on, uh, one of the challenges was getting folks to sort of understand why sort of I was showing up as a designer into some of these conversations, because I think we think about 
I say we, but uh, I think maybe it is. I would say it's it is all of us. We like fall into this track of like who belongs where, <laughs> and I think you know knowing that like I was entering into these spaces as a young like black like queer woman of color a that like was not shy about that but also can't erase the reality that I show up in a room and you notice right there was that barrier but also then I was also layering that in that I was a designer and there aren't very many people who you know work in this space uh, that carry that title or you know I think lead with that title and so getting folks to say okay, like I get why she's here is something that uh, is still a hurdle. And so it's less of like showing up and being like, I'm a civic designer and I'm ready to like (laughs) do a thing. It's mostly (laughs) saying like, hey, I'm I'm showing up and I have a perspective, but I'm also here to help try and get to the bottom of like what it is that you're hoping to do and like, would it be possible if we do this together? Um, And so it's still a work in progress trying to make sense of where the change I think can really happen at a larger scale. But I think I'm excited about the small things that we've been able to do. And I think there are some large things that we've been able to influence. And it's constantly this interesting balance of you're trying to not put design on a pedestal, but say that this is an entry point to remind folks that people from a lot of different walks of life can be a part of this decision making. Right. And that is like one thing that I think about if I think about challenges, but um, mm. yeah, I have a long list given that <laughs> we're like trying to sort of work within like really difficult structures and trying to figure out really do how to, how residents really show up as, as really key decision makers and, and processes that again have been like working in the ways that they've been working. And there's a lot of excitement and desire to do that. But I think um, really having the tools and not thinking about those tools as finite things, but as flexible context driven things is really hard for some folks because we don't get taught to care, right? We don't get taught to be inclusive in a lot of our practices. Um, and so if we're working within those sort of silo fields and those spaces, we we go as far as we, we, we understand to go. And so trying to figure out and, and constantly be reflective about that and do that in collaboration with, with folks um, is is one of like a major goal. And I think a challenge that I see other folks really struggling with. And so trying to be a partner in doing that is is a really exciting position to be in, but can be really draining and frustrating. And, um, and not just for me, right, but for folks who are hoping to do more and different things with the, the sort of work that they've been, been doing. We don't get taught to care. That's, that's a really interesting, I, I, I don't know if I've really thought about designing that way. I mean, certainly, I think, you know, for people that may go through, like traditional design school methods, it's less about I guess the empathy of the end user, it's more about making sure you've achieved a business goal or something to that effect. But it's different with civic design because the work that you're doing is like directly affecting people's lives. You know, if you go into a ad agency and you're making, you know, ads for some, I don't know, new soft drink or something, that's, that's ephemeral. Like, yeah, you know, certainly people might like it now, but then in a month or two, that's probably going to be gone. Whereas the changes that you're doing with civic design, those impact communities and people, you know, for years. Yeah. And, you know, we don't always get it right either, which is why so much of our work is about prototyping and experimenting. It's to say that like, we don't always have the answers and it's okay, but we need to be doing it in a transparent way that allows us to grow and change and move with an understanding and of, you know, where people are, right. And where people, um, you know, expect or want or feel like we need 
you know, we need to be moving. And yeah. I mean, it's hard to, I don't mean to say it so abruptly, like, you know, we don't get taught to care, but I do think a lot of practices you, yeah, like you started to say, like you, you get taught to care enough to get to your end goal, but to imagine doing the work of constantly holding space for actually it might change or actually mm-hmm. it might not mm-hmm. need to look that way forever. Or actually we might learn by doing this thing that, you know, it's, you know, kind of problematic and we need to go back to the drawing board. And so I think that there, there's a sense in that I, that I have gotten from, from government. And it's not like wrong because I think historically that has probably felt like the, <laughs> the desire is like to be the expert, to walk in and to know the answer and to solve it for people. And I think that there, while like, yeah, a lot of things have happened and maybe some have been good. I think there's a lot of danger in that just assuming, you know, um, and I think that like that vulnerability that might come from admitting that you don't and trying to work through that is like a hard place for everyone to exist in, which is why I think the space that we hold is really important because not everybody feels comfortable taking risks, especially because it's people's everyday lives that are, that are at stake. And that, you know, I think we try not to go into anything with the desire to sort of disrupt major systems that could collapse tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of like folks' well-being. But we try to think thoughtfully about what are the spaces that can change that are either connected to the root cause or can really like discreetly and thoughtfully shift something that'll allow us to see the, the that that aspect of the world differently and give us the space to to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really do think that like it's incredibly hard and scary to 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 admit that like you are you have the capacity to change someone's life and it's also really exciting right but but i think what i've seen from a lot of design practices but even you know urban planning and and other fields is yes you get taught about empathy maybe in the days, but sometimes it's situated in imaginary projects that don't really force you to have to understand like nuanced challenges of the Mm -hmm. everyday. And to admit that sometimes you're not designing for the people who are there right now, but you still have the capacity to be inclusive and bring people, like true real people into a process um, that doesn't strip you of your ability to to, to, to support the world with your skill or your talent, but says that like by opening that up, we get to do things better. We get to do things thoughtfully. We get to do things uh, with a true desire to uh, positively impact the world, right? Or impact our, our spaces. Uh, and I'm seeing more and more of that shift, right? I'm seeing graphic design programs say like, actually, what would it mean for folks to think about who early on, to ask thoughtful questions early on? And how does that actually make our, our work better, right? more thoughtful. And so yeah. it's exciting to see, but I know that that's not the foundation that all of us have. Now we've had service designers on the show before. We've had people that have designed at different levels of government. We even had the like former creative director for the Obama White House here on the show. And one thing that I've asked all of them about is sort of design and government, because that still seems to be an area that designers tend to stay away from. Even I would say now in these these current political times where um, certainly I think the ways that different policies are being enacted and the ways people are protesting those policies and such, it's a prime opportunity for designers to be involved in some sort of way to make civic change. But why do you still think that designers are kind of reluctant to get into this space? 
So I myself did not think <laughs> that I was ever going to end up in government. And I still, when I introduce myself, that sometimes comes out. I was like, wow, I'm here. It's been here. I've been here. And I never thought I would be. But I didn't say it earlier as one of the challenges, but I think one of the first ones that I felt being in this space um, was trying to carry my multiple identities, right? Trying to carry this tension of understanding, um, you know, really what the institutions of government has done historically to um, not just people that look like me, but uh, folks from all walks of life, right? Like the challenges that folks have faced, the trauma that's been passed down and the trauma that's being enacted in so many different spaces by way of government it's hard to, you can't ignore that, right? And that like fuels the passion to want to be in the space and say, what can I do from, you know, inside these spaces, right? But that's also not an easy place to be with someone who I think that trauma has passed down to me too, right? Like, so, uh, so I can imagine that, you know, similar to like my hesitancy about stepping into the space, there are plenty of people who just don't see themselves here. And there's not an open door that's saying, hey, designers, come on in. Especially, you know, I think now in the sort of digital age, there's a lot of spaces being provided from, I think, a digital aspect. But this broad, like, come as you are and the skills that you want to use, like, they're, they're, it's not widespread, right? And so if it doesn't feel like the door's open, then not only do you have to carve that space for yourself, but you also have to do it carrying and wearing that trauma, that baggage, that that tension mm. of how do I exist with and in community while also operating in a space that has for so long been the antithesis, has been has felt like the enemy or has been the enemy of spaces that I value and that I care for and that I appreciate. And so I was what I was pointing to is that, you know, when I first started, I remember being at a community meeting and I had seen childhood friends sort of protesting the folks that were were hosting that meeting. And I was like, what side am I on? Right. Yeah. Like I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. And I had to really spend time trying to unpack this. This It's not as simple as this, but I think we are in a moment where even in the spaces where it feels like government can change for us, there's no there's no promise, right? And there's also no guidebook, right? There's no promise so on the, on behalf of residents and and folks just engaging out their their everyday life. It's like I don't know if I can believe that you're going to be there for me. And on the side of folks in government who do want to see that change and do want to go beyond the practices that have sort of perpetuated that feeling and that reality for folks, they they don't have the guidebook for how to do it right, how to convince, how to really make people believe that. And really, I think on both ends, like where does the follow through happen? And so I think this mentality around like we're experimenting, we're trying, we're taking steps to try and imagine what that looks like and be vulnerable and be transparent, I think is an interesting thing that I think we're not the only ones necessarily doing. Mm-hmm. But it's not obvious that that space exists in every city government that that exists in every like facet of government. And I would argue that, you know, it's very different uh, thinking about design from the federal level, from the state level and from the local level. And like, I think the exciting thing about the local level is that I see those changes tomorrow. Right. In, In a lot of ways. And so to imagine trying to carry that like that urgency and not really see these spaces Uh, always carry that urgency as well, right? To carry that trauma and not really see these spaces respect or create healing moments for that. Mm -hmm. And then that like sense of like, you know, 
what, where, 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 how do I show up or come in? Um, hasn't existed for me as an individual, let alone me as a designer. I can, I can definitely see how hard it is. And I have felt how hard it is to feel like the space is for me. And so I was excited that this team existed and that that call was made for people who were curious and who, you know, maybe weren't experts, but really saw a value in trying to use like creativity as a way to interrogate and navigate city challenges. And I would love to see more spaces like that be created, but also more designers to see the opportunity to try and influence those spaces. Because you don't have to be employed here to do that work. And I've been excited to see students and other folks sort of get involved with with that. And um, But I, I, I totally see that there are, there are an endless amount of reasons why we don't trust a space like this, or we're not ready to even imagine ourselves here. So I guess to that end, is there any sort of advice that you would give to designers out there who are listening that might want to start getting involved with civic design? Yeah, I mean, so it sounds like I I feel like my last response was a little bit of like a downer. But (laughs) I do I do want to say that, like, I've been um, really excited, especially here in Boston. But, um, you know, I've been able to connect with a lot of uh, folks throughout the nation and abroad and and city after city. I've been really excited to see a lot of people asking this question on how can we do better and who can we bring into the fold and and really seeing spots for not just designers, but folks who want to lead with their creativity to to have a role in really thinking about the future of not just policy, but like everything from like, how do we engage with technology? How do we think about the public realm? How do we really go beyond what we've, we're doing today? How do we rethink our democracy? I think the space is there. Mm-hmm. And so while there are some formal roles that, you know, you can uh, make your way into, I do think that Uh, my point about you can be practicing civic design without being in this particular context. Um, And it to me is in some ways thinking about designers being civically active. Right. Um, And, and saying, you know, I have this skill set, this way of looking at the world. And if I was to use my energy to think about how I would, you know, support uh, making something change for the better in my particular neighborhood, right? Or in my school or in my sort of like workplace as it relates to some sort of social challenge. Like what would it be like to do that and and do that with prioritizing that thoughtfulness, that that uh, desire to think about who, why, and to what end in a way that I think goes beyond just empathy, but thinks about compassion, thinks about care, thinks about delightfulness, thinks about healing, thinks about um, you know, really, how do our spaces and experiences and interactions with each other uh, really have the potential to to shape the future for the better if we understand them and understand where um, they're sort of failing and, and where they need to be, uh, I think, thought differently about. Yeah, we were talking right before uh, this interview about the Black and Design Conference. And the first conference I went to in 2015 that's sort of exactly the thing that they talked about. They looked at kind of reclaiming space and what that looks like from these different, uh, I guess, different viewpoints. Like they started small with like the neighborhood and then they branched out to the city, the, I think, states and then the region or something like that. But they sort of like expanded it out. And so they had people that talked about, oh, what's it like to make change in your neighborhood? And then someone comes and talks about what's it like to make change in the city by like designing this, this public plaza or something like that. And it, that was the first time that I really looked at how design can be so broadly, I think, applied in a way that, 
you know, changes the environment. It changes people's lives. It, it sort of makes an impact on a, a very visceral scale, like something yeah. that's, I mean, like this isn't Photoshop brushes and stuff like that. Like this, these are real things that are actually making a difference in people's lives. I think, you know, one thing that's probably important to point out about civic design, and I don't know if you really touched on this, but that it doesn't necessarily have to be politically involved in order for you to like be involved with civic design. Would you, would you agree to that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly what I'm trying to get at is I think there's a need for designers to be working. You know, if the if the context of government is going to exist for us, we should be at the table. A lot of different folks should be at the table, but it is not the only place where you can sort of uh, try to think about your everyday life, think about your city, think about the spaces you exist in and how they can be better um, and do it in a way that is like a civic action, like for sure, for sure. Yeah. So when did you first get involved in all this? You mentioned going to college and and studying industrial design, but was design like this sort of like always in your life, just a part of your childhood? When did you kind of get the spark for all of this? Yeah, uh, it was uh, as a little kid, I used to like draw in front of the TV. And so there was a sense that like I'd go and I'd work for Disney or I'd do a thing and um, <laughs> become an illustrator. And I, I'm still excited that I like maintain an, an artist's uh, practice outside of the, the work I do that, you know, I think feels more specifically civic design. But I think there's no way that even that work cannot be civically minded. Um, but um, I remember. Uh, being in high school, actually. Uh, and I, I went to high school in, at um, a technical school. And so I was really lucky to be be able to study desktop publishing and just like sort of like dip my toes in a, a communication design, as well as, you know, really understanding um, that like art was an important part of my life. And I remember being a part of a youth development program um, that taught young people, I believe like ages eight to 18. I'm definitely getting the name, the numbers wrong, but um, everything from dance to music production, to fashion, to graphic design and illustration, mm -hmm. you name it. Um, and I was really moved by that program. But at the same time, I was working at a, another youth program that was centered around a, it, it was called um, Groundwork Lawrence. And so it was a group team and it was centered around having young people interact and engage with sort of environmental issues in their neighborhood and really uh, trying to navigate that world. And so I spent a lot of time saying, I want to design, but also I really want to figure out how to make my neighborhood better, right? I want to I want to be pulling out those tires out of the river. I want to be working in collaboration with folks to like really in interrogate like why like things are the way they are. And I have this distinct moment in my mind where I um, had heard like the governor had come down to that one of those youth programs and was talking and I caught wind of predatory lending as a concept. Right. And I remember being like, wait, so we're allowing and selling homes to people at the river's edge. And then we know that they can't afford it. And so they their homes get flooded, but they can't afford the insurance. But of course, the river was going to go back the way that it wanted to go because man changed it. Like I was trying to piece together <laughs> these concepts and I really didn't have words for it. Um, but I, I knew that like I had retained that desire um, throughout undergrad of like really wanting to pair design with a social practice. And mm -hmm. I think... You know, I had tried in small ways to try to do that and really maintain that uh, while I was in undergrad. And I think 
I was really excited about the parts of industrial design that really taught me how to think critically, think about where people, uh, you know, where by understanding people, like how you could design differently, how you could be thoughtful. I just didn't want the application of it to just be physical products. Like I wanted to be guided by that understanding versus thinking about an object in mind at first, right? And so I... You know, I went through the program, was really grateful for the mentors that I had met. Um, and then, you know, was like, I- I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to I'm going to go to this this grad program. Um, and so I went to Parsons, the new school uh, and studied design and urban ecologies at a point where it was a very new program. It was the first year that it was launching. And so I was in a cohort of about 30 people and every project was a group project. Every project was situated in the context of a real neighborhood with a real community group with real challenges that we had to think about, not just what we were doing, but the impact that our absence afterward would have on the thing that we were working with them on. And so, you know, this was not how do you parachute in and out really, but how do you uh, bring the support and the expertise that you have, but also know that like you're not the expert, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that like trying to figure out like what is that negotiation, uh, what does that work look like when we're trying to acknowledge that in order to solve any of the big challenges that we have that we're facing today, whether it's immigrant rights, right, or vendors, street vendor rights, or really some of our environmental challenges, that it's not going to be one practice alone, right? It's not just going to be the scientists, right? It's not just going to be politicians, right? It's not just going to be designers. Designers, um, right? It's going to be teachers, right? It's going to be therapists, right? It's going to be all of us that uh, come into play. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that program, I had that itch. I was like, okay, well, now I know where I want to spend my time, but I really didn't know where that context would fit. And I think in between that ending that program and starting with the city, I had gone back to um, sort of the world of industrial design from the lens of a design and innovation consultancy. And it was a good experience. But again, I was like itching for like, where was the social value, like beyond just delivering on this, this company's goals and their bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of thoughtful work happening, but it wasn't in the context that I was excited about um, or, or wanted to, to to sort of spread my wings into. And so in between, I think that uneasiness and and, and saying, okay, this isn't bad work, but it is not the the work that I feel fulfilled by. It was sort of at the rise of uh, technology's role in, I think, in highlighting that something that we, you know, folks of color have felt, right? But um, the rest of the world perhaps couldn't align on it until we realized that we technology was that way, right? So uh, during sort of the Black Lives Matter movement, I asked myself, how can I not just design in this corner for this particular context, but design toward really critical social challenges we face in the city? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I actually reconnected with some some friends in grad school, and we did some of that work um, through designing the We, um, the social impact design studio based out of New York. And uh, I I really admired the work that they were doing, and I was excited to be a part of the beginning of that. Um, and I think through that, like, opened myself up to saying, okay, like, maybe this open position with the city is one that, like, might make sense for me. And it was someone in that consultancy that actually said, hey, this sounds like you. And so it, it, 
this is not a linear path at all, but, but I will say, um, <laughs> I will say that like every step that I took, my parents were like, wait, so industrial design, what does that mean? Design urban ecology, <laughs> what does that mean? And now that I'm like, oh, I'm with the newer mechanics. They're like, I have no idea what you do. Um, so, <laughs> um, but it really has been like an effort of like following the things that I've been passionate about and, yeah. and really communicating out loud the things that I'm struggling with and the uneasiness and the excitement and it often isn't the I know exactly what I want to do next but it has been a this sounds interesting this is how I want to spend my time and if I have the capacity and the ability to to navigate that like I would really love to and yeah and and here I am <laughs> what does what does trusting your passion look like for you right now in your life because that seems to be kind of a a guiding principle for you throughout your career you kind of trusted what it is that you want to do and you have strong beliefs about it and you've been able to kind of make a way as you know in your career by doing that yeah i think the the first time it happened um probably was in my um i mean i'm sure there are other times but a really a really strong memory i think was in undergrad and i was working on um my final project and it had gone down this path you know i was really really interested in helping people unpack the both positive things and the good things that they were experiencing every day so that they could be more reflective. Right. And I think it was like an, an introspective exercise for me, but one that I thought could exist with the role of design. Right. I thought the design had the, had a potential to allow us to navigate really difficult things like mental health, right. Like, um, you know, uh, just sort of those everyday challenges. And I, I was going down that path and I have had a good amount of professors say, I don't know what you're doing. Right? Like I have <laughs> no idea what you're doing. And, you know, I'm a product designer, so I'm going to teach you product design. I'm like, I get that, but you've given me these tools that I feel like could be applicable in this particular context. And I really want to run down that path. And yes, I will fulfill your minimum requirements, but I can't ignore that this is, this is something that not only I care about, but is re being reinforced by the people that I'm engaging with, by mm -hmm. the research that I've been doing, by this attempt to really ground it in people. And, you know, that was maybe one of the earliest moments, I think, career-wise, that I acknowledged that I had to choose, yeah. right? I had to choose to either fold into the mold, right, or decide that, I was going to deviate in a way that made sense to me. And that wouldn't have been possible without one professor saying, they're not going to understand you. Like, I am not sure I fully understand you, but you have to, you have to do it for you and accept that like, you're just going to have to communicate. You're going to have to be a better communicator and you're going to have to, you know, be there for yourself in a lot of ways. And, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, she was there for me and I'm grateful for it. Uh, but it, yeah. You know, even now looking back and spending a lot of time with that same professor, I'm like grateful. I'm like grateful for, you know, and I will say that to anyone trying to be a mentor, even if you don't get it to encourage folks to trust themselves and be a support in however way that you can, I think is incredibly important because we don't all have the answers already. And I don't think we ever really will. And so the willingness to accept that, right, it's not just about your passion, right? I think that's incredibly important that's a guiding principle but i like i used to 
try to call it like my ethos compass or something, right? It's like, <laughs> what is like, what do I value? Yeah. It's like, what do I value and how do I find a way to not compromise that and use what I'm excited about in the world, right? I couldn't pick one thing. I didn't want to just do design. I didn't want to just think about our challenge. I wanted to figure out how to do them together. And that's still a challenge today, but that's one of my goals. The other goal is to do no harm and be thoughtful. And so trying to hold on to those things as well as whatever other values you have, I think helps at least has helped me guide myself into the next steps that I want to take. Mm. Tell me about a low point in your career. I'm I'm curious to know, like, and, and I mean, this is, I'm, I'm asking this question because, you know, granted, yes, we do have people come on and they sort of talk about the highlights of their work. And I think that's really important too, but you know, what I think really sounds, what it sounds like with the work that you're doing Going this sort of non-linear type of path means there's going to be, you know, hills and valleys, ups and downs sort of things. What what was a low point in your career? Like, where were you? What was going on when that happened? Yeah, a low point. I mean, there's definitely been um, a ton of bumps and hurdles. And I think through every step that I've taken, there's been this moment of, wait, what am I doing? And uh you know, like, am I like this imposter syndrome narrative, I think is, is one that I like for sure identify with in its basic sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And that like so many of the spaces that I operate in, um, or I have operated in, there's always that moment of wait, like, do I belong? And I sort of have to sort of reframe and, and, and say like, is it belonging? That is, is the goal. (laughs) Right. But yeah, I mean, I think I personally have had a lot of challenges, uh, I think, with mental health issues and and really trying to to stay above water in terms of caring for myself and, and seeing value in like me as a human, let alone me as like a professional or a person with a perspective on like the, the, the world, but like just as a fundamental human yeah. that has a right to exist, right? That has been hard, right? And so it's years and still to this day, it's an ongoing process of trying to say like, you know, I may not love myself, but how do I like myself and how do I see myself as valuable yeah. enough to, to, to exist another day and to, to keep working toward it, you know, whatever the goal is. And so I mean, I think that's like a consistent learning point yeah. rather than low point. I would say it's a it's a point of of tension that I like don't ignore, and I'm grateful to be in a space where you know I think this was the first job that it was so explicit that folks were like, "Yo, you you need to like take care of yourself if you need a therapist, if you need all these things, like find the support that you need because this work is not easy, it's not hard." Right. You are always going to be trying to be on the side of good, but it's going to be confusing and it's going to be hard and the day-to-day of working in a space that is inherently political, but also in just generally trying to think about, like, this isn't just, I mean, there's a lot of, like, really, really painful things that people are experiencing, right? We're talking about, like, everything from someone, you know, mourning the loss of a loved one who has, you know, you know, fallen victim to, a like, gun violence to a, a vehicle um, sort of, you know, I think we're thinking about like, as a city, we're thinking about things like vision zero. So what does it mean to protect bikers from going under the wheels of vehicles to thinking about people who are experiencing, you know, substance use disorders? Like this is like challenges that people are truly feeling, experiencing viscerally every day. Mm -hmm. Right. And even when, you know, we are trying to be our most awful, 
we can't erase that pain from folks. And so I think every day there's like a question of like, wait, like can, like how, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and being excited about trying, even in a smallest sense to support, uh, I think the narratives of positive impact, but, but like knowing that you yourself, if you're not a hundred percent, like, which I don't think all of us are ever hundred percent. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's not an invisible feat. Like it's, it's difficult. And so, you know, I think, and it doesn't, I think you asked like, what are the, what are the biggest hurdles or some of the challenges? Um, I think just interpersonally, like I am still who I am and I've had to deal with things beyond microaggressions that I've had to sit back and sort of hold my tongue and, yeah. and, and really try and figure out, like we had uh, a couple of folks articulated as like, you know, are you shoving justice over uh, justice through a window or are you flipping the table over mm-hmm. and really trying to navigate like, yeah, like both in the space that I'm working in, but in my everyday, like, when is that moment for us? When is that moment that we, <laughs> we feel like we are our full selves uh, and that we're not compromising and that we're not policing ourselves. And I think that that's a constant struggle and that low exists. Um, but I've been grateful that it's been paired with these moments of finding people both inside um, the spaces that I work in and in, you know, friends groups and in these spaces where, you know, I've recently been invited to these dinners where I'm just meeting with folks who are talking about like ethno-futuristic futures, <laughs> like, right? Like just finding spaces where you can refuel and care for yourself and recognize that like, yeah, it hurts and it's not easy and I'm not perfect and I need to learn how to love myself so I can continue to love everybody else and, and try to bring us all up. Um, but it's hard. Yeah. It's amazing how, and I think this mostly just kind of in the, I'm thinking more like product design, visual design community, but there's very little talk about sort of self-care and about the impact that our work has and what that, how that impacts us as people, you know, um, it's, it's rare to, you know, especially I think as a person of color. And if you sit at the intersection of multiple identities, like just being able to show up as yourself 100% to work is a challenge enough, let alone actually doing the work just even being there can sometimes just be a challenge enough and there's i don't feel like there's enough talk or or enough really i think attention given to kind of self-care in this profession as a whole because things move so quickly like that's another thing and i'm again speaking more about on the digital end i mean people pour so much stuff into work that's only going to exist for a very short amount of time like it may live on forever in your portfolio but in the next year or two, like it's a blip. It's, it's nothing like, so what's the next thing that you're doing? So, um, and, and what kind of impact does that have on you in terms of how you feel about the skills that you can even, you know, do the work about the impact that you're having? If the work that you do ends up getting written over or erased in a few years, then what, what was all that energy and time that you put forth into something that now no longer exists? Like, I can imagine how that would weigh on people, especially, well, yeah, I could, I could see how that would weigh on people. So I, I wish there was more talk about that sort of impact and what designers do to kind of deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I've been like grateful to hear it articulated actually, uh, you know, about, you know, it's not just about self-care, right. Uh, it's about 
how do we care for each other as well, right? It's not mm-hmm. just an act that we should expect everyone to go off in their corner and figure it out and come back as they're, you know, better than yesterday. Um, but how do we see our care as being a community effort, right? Uh, of being one that like it takes a village, whether small or large, to make sure that we're all able to be present. And when we're not, when we're, we can't, that like we're covered, that it's, that it's okay, that I can have a day where I just can't get up or I just don't, you know, um, you know, feel like my full self. And, and that's something that I feel like is missing in larger spaces. (laughs) Um, right. I think I feel the sense that like self-care is coming in, but I also don't want us to lose sight that it's not just an activity for one person alone to do for themselves. It's that and right. And so, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, like I, I do think that part of it is like, how do we create a culture of that? And, I do feel like it's something that is making missing. And so like speaking the truth to that, right. Saying out loud, like I am caring for myself today is also one way that I imagine doing that. I try to be really vocal about a lot of the things that um, tend to ride invisibly, but impact a lot of people. Right. Like, so yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I hear you. And I think with this particular work, you know, we, at least from the, perspective of the team that I'm on, like we really do see ourselves as not here to save the day, but really be a a support system. And, and, you know, we're often written out of a lot of stories. And I think we have to be comfortable with that uh, to some degree, because if the ultimate goal has been achieved, right, if the ultimate goal of building a new reflex or allowing folks to sort of take the risk that allows for more opportunities that look different than the way that we have things today, then like we can be okay with that, which is why, you know, pouring your energy into the process rather than the product alone is incredibly important um, because you want to build a foundation um, that hopefully also gets passed on, right? Whether or not you're there. Yeah. Do you have like a, a dream project that you'd really love to do? I mean, let's say you had carte blanche with city money, city services, just in general. Like what's what's a dream project you'd love to take on? Oh, my gosh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not so sure. I mean, I say that and it's a, it's, it doesn't I don't mean to take the easy way out and be like, there's many, I don't have anything that I can like pinpoint. <laughs> but I will say that like, there's no shortage of things, right? There's no shortage of things that we could focus on. And I do think that the stuff that excites me um, sort of eh, right now are things that I would still love to be able to do. Um, but I am really curious if there's anything that can be done on like the city side to navigate, you know, some of the like issues around Actually, no, like, I think that is true. I'm very curious, like how we can think thoughtfully about like community healing from a perspective that like thinks about mental health, that thinks about women's health. And this is me being all encompassing, but it's like some of the things that have been like irking me, you know, is personally, I've been really thinking about, you know, how women and folks who, you know, menstruate, how they are told about their experiences, how, and this is one example, but I see it in so many different spaces. And that's why I'm like really struggling to have a clear answer, but I've just Uh been really, really frustrated with 
our healthcare system, with the way that we talk about mental health, the way that we sort of like navigate really longstanding social issues that I know have been passed down, that even if it feels like a hypothesis, we are feeling the imp- impacts of like redlining and policies and practices that have not only shaped our physical space, but mentally, right? I think there's so much that we have yet to unpack and to actually work on a project that um, would require us to address those things head on and think tactically about how to create space. And I say this, but like, I know that there are folks already trying to do this work. So um, it, it is to say that like, I want to spend my energy interrogating and, and creating more opportunities for, again, folks who menstruate to feel like they are not in a vacuum and that they're hiding this part that is quite natural about themselves. And if they're going through pain that is unnecessary, that they're not being told that that's on you or everyone experiences that or, you know, that we're told that our pain is real and that folks are there to help us navigate it. And I say that from like a physical perspective, right, when I'm using the example of the sort of uh, menstruation bit, but also think about it from like the larger social perspective. Like, I'm tired of us feeling like, you know, gaslit, right? It's being told that like, no, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, we're past that. No, we're not. We still in every corner have been reinforced by the lack of attention that's been, been given to uh, the experiences of like women, of people of color, of queer folks, of non-binary folks, of folks who experience the world in a different way than cis white men feel and experience the world. And it's not me trying to point fingers, though I am. I just <laughs> say that like I I, I wanna see this like the city like fully like cities fully lean into to questioning how systemic and institutionalized racism shows up, how all the isms really I think unfold in our yeah. healthcare system and unfold in our education system. And this is work that's all again already being done, but I would just continue to pull my pull my energy and time into doing more of that because I think when I think about the things that like uh make me sad and angry and and frustrated it's it's the fact that some of us have words for it others don't but we're still able to find ways to ignore it in some levels and it, it feels wild to me that that's possible do you feel like you're living your life's purpose right now or do you think you're like still searching for it I think I'm still searching for sure. I mean, this is an exciting place to be in a really interesting, frustrating, but potentially exciting time. Um, and I'm really grateful for like where I've been able to, to go and how I've been able to show up. But I, I'm still trying to figure out how to be my full self. I'm still trying to figure out how to, to make sure that I... Um, and not just doing this for myself, but doing this with folks and doing this, Mm -hmm. you know, I think young people are often ignored in in terms of having narratives around the future of our cities. And like that to me is also a passionate place that I'm trying to figure out, like, how does that happen? And how do we do that more thoughtfully? And I'm open to this being the space where those things can happen, but I'm also willing to, to admit that there is no shortage of places in which this work can be done and in which, um, I can, um, sort of, yeah, think about like what my role is. What's next for you? Like, where do you see yourself in the next like five years or so? What kind of work would you like to be focusing on? Ah, yeah. 
um, <laughs> for my like long-winded sort of non-response, but like very intricate response on what project I want to do next. Um, <laughs> I really, I do think that like, I, I hope that in the next five years, I'm still able to do um, a lot of the work that I'm doing right now. Again, whether or not it's in this context, X is, is one question and I don't feel like pressured to answer that right now. But what I will say is I do hope that um, I am working in a capacity where I've allowed myself to do that self-care, do that sort of like we care, do that really uh, grounded work. And I don't expect to be like incredibly like, you know, I figured it out in five years, <laughs> but I, I, I want to make sure that like I am bringing my community along for this ride and that I'm like uh, uh, opening myself up to, to, to being brought along for, uh, you know, someone else's. And so I'm, um, I'm excited to continue to in, figure out what civic design looks like in the future and what it looks like for me. And I'm hoping that I'm able to continue not just teaching, uh, but I think it's been really interesting to exchange with young people. I've learned so much by trying to share what I've learned and really understand the way that they're seeing the world. And so being in those spaces would be great. And I, I really want to continue to make art. And I think that's one of an exciting uh, part of the current work that I've been doing is trying to work with the the folks here to say like, you know, art itself as well as design um, has more than just the utility of a product or an end thing and that it can be incredibly crucial to how we think about uh, our cities. And so what does it mean to lead with creativity in whatever aspect of the world or the city or, you know, I, whatever spaces I'm in is, is going to be the goal. And so I also hope I'm relaxing a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, just pointing back to that self-care, I'm like, yeah, we should all just like take vacations and 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 tell your loved ones you love them and spend time with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, well, just to you know, wrap things up here, Sabrina, where can our audience find out more about you or about the work that you're doing online? Yeah, so I'm both on Twitter and Instagram at OH underscore S-A-B-E-E-D-E-E. So O-S-A-B-E-D. Um, and uh, you can find some of my personal work on sabrinadorsonville.com. Uh, and I think it'd be great if you could also like follow along with what the newer mechanics are doing. Um, and they're on Twitter at, at new urban M-E-C-H-S. All right. Sounds good. Well, Sabrina Dorsonville, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I think, first of all, thank you for sharing just so much about the work that you're doing. I think for a lot of us out there, whether we're designers or not, just, you know, denizens in the city, this type of work, while it's super important, can often go, I think, un, un, uh, celebrated or unrealized. Like a lot of, the, a lot of these things are happening kind of right under our noses and we don't necessarily know. So I think just being able to shed a light on why it's important and the type of work that you do and just how much research and everything goes into it is important. But also just the conversations that we had around self-care and making sure that, you know, as designers, as creative people, you know, regardless of, I think, the scope of the impact of our work, that it's important that we are taking care of ourselves within this process because creativity, as we know, is not an on-tap resource, you know, as much as we would like for it to be, that's not the case. So <laughs> it's important that while we are 
putting forth our talents to help others that we also take that time out to to help ourselves. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sabrina Dorsonville and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sabrina and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. And of course, big thanks to Facebook Design. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Maurice Cherry and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute or so to do. It also really just helps spread the word about Revision Path worldwide. I mean, everywhere. You can also find us on many other platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.